Don't you ever take for granted the privilege of getting to go to church. That's under attack. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have an interesting subject to cover today, but first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform in which you're listening to us upon we have several social media platforms like our fan page on Facebook when you type in at Our Mighty Fortress. You can also visit our website at OurMightyFortress.com where we have a host of media where you'll find articles and videos and even our merch store to help support the work. If you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website and the established PayPal link. If we've helped you in some way, of course, we would love to hear about it at OurMightyFortress at gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to relate a story from the New Testament and the Apostle Paul's relation with the Roman officials. I want to show that things really aren't that much different in how we deal with people and even corrupt politicians today. It can kind of seem like that, hey, we too are reasoning with those who are unreasonable. It can be very frustrating, actually, <laughs> to watch the direction that America is heading and the people around us are just oblivious to her destruction. But just know that we are not alone. The apostles and disciples of Jesus Christ in the New Testament dealt with the same lackadaisical attitude towards the things of God. Sure, the government itself is corrupt in our modern times, but guess what? So was the Roman government in our story that we're going to relate today. There is truly nothing new under the sun, as Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And corruption may come through different people in history, but it is still the same. I want to show you that we too can be bold in the face of corruption and tyranny. And in the middle of it all, we can beam light in the face of darkness. With that introduction, let's get right into this. Our story begins with the Apostle Paul back in Jerusalem after all of his missionary journeys. After preaching, he was arrested and then brought before the Sanhedrin. 
The Apostle Paul stood before the Sanhedrin and the new high priest Ananias, who had him roughed up a bit. And, of course, as per Roman law, the Sanhedrin could not execute Paul on the spot without Roman permission. And thus, Paul, in our story, is going to be standing in front of the Roman procurator named Antonius Felix. Now, Felix was a very interesting character. Why? He was a brutal and crooked governor who took bribes, and he even took other men's wives. The ancient historian Josephus mentions Felix as being one of the worst governors of Judea. His wife, Drusilla, was about 18 or 19 years old at this time, and believe it or not, she was already married off earlier to a foreign politician, but Felix brought her unto himself. Drusilla was the daughter of King Herod, the same Herod that had James, the brother of John, killed. Now, with that kind of background there, let's take a look at our story. We're going to look at the book of Acts in the New Testament and in chapter 24, starting in verse 22. The story tells us more about this Roman official Felix and how corrupt he truly was. Looking in verse 22, it says, And when Felix heard these things, having a more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. So what he's talking about here is Paul uh, just finished speaking before Felix, and Felix is making a judgment here that he's going to uh, listen to the chief captain that brought him uh, brought Paul to him in the very first place. It's going in verse 23. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance and judgment to come felix trembled and answered go thy way for this time and when i have a convenient season i will call for thee he hoped also that money should have been given him of paul that he might lose him wherefore he sent for him the oftener and communed with him but after two years portius festus came into felix's room and felix willing to show the jews a, a pleasure left paul bound and quote now, in verse 22, you notice that Felix had a knowledge of that way or the way. That's a very interesting statement. Christianity was known to the Romans at that time as, quote, the way. And thus, it piqued Felix's curiosity. What was this new or so-called new religion that was growing? It piqued his interest. Felix wanted to hear what the preacher of the gospel named Paul had to say for himself. Paul began his discourse with trying to reason with the governor. He tried to reason with righteousness. Well, let's take a look at that really quick. What is righteousness? That is, seems to be a very confusing word, not only for people who don't know God, but also for Christians themselves. In the Greek New Testament, the word righteousness is the demand for upright and holy living before your fellow man and before God. 
This would be a direct opposite of the person who is self-centered and has no regard for others or for God. Now, I don't know if Paul started from here, uh, but from the time of the fall of man in the book of Genesis, man has always tried to present his own righteousness or even his own good works in some sort of worship that's going to be some sort of appeasement for sin before a holy and righteous God. The concept of holiness and righteousness is foreign to a sinful mankind. I know that just hurts our ears to hear, but we do not do anything righteous or holy by our own sin nature. The false deities that were created throughout history always resembled the sinful nature of mankind. The perfect example is Greek mythology. Many of the deities were created and their, their stories behind these deities were just philandering, deceiving murderer types. It is unbelievable, just like the sinful nature of mankind. The Roman deities were Greek by nature, both Latin names. So Felix would have been well acquainted and familiar with them and the practices. Paul reasons with Felix about a god that is well above the pagan deities a holy and righteous God. This certainly initially sparked the interest of Felix and part of the reason why he had Paul brought before him. He was curious about this religion, the way, before it was really called Christianity as a whole. It was called the way. It's important to know that righteousness in relation to God is having a purity of heart and conformity of the heart and life to the divine law of God. This means to also have holy affections and for that person to walk holy in their life. God wants us to reason with the brains that he's given us, not only to understand that our sins themselves can be purged, but we can also walk holy before him. He says so much in the book of Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, quote, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, quote, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. End quote. Through the washing of the blood of Christ and the regeneration of the man, we too can become righteous in God's eyes and have our sins purged. We are also given the opportunity to pursue after righteousness in this life and live holy before God. That's what changes our life when we trust in Christ. And that's what Paul was trying to reason with Felix. Paul stood before the man who could have him executed but yet he preached boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was endowed with the fearless spirit through the conviction and power of God. This is no different from today. We need to have the boldness to stand up for what's right in God's eyes, even in the face of wicked politicians. It doesn't matter if the state comes against us, and you know what? They will. They will very soon. They're already coming after us. But no, that God will be with you nonetheless. Listen to what one commentator had to say about our biblical story and the Apostle Paul's 
seemingly plight. He says, quote, What a contrast! On the throne sat Felix, the faded and withered pagan, a former slave. He became a favorite of Claudius, and by that emperor was exalted to high rank. Greed, cruelty, and lust were stamped upon his countenance. His administration as procurator of Ju Judea had been marked by injustice, extortion, and violence. By his side sat the lovely Jewess Drusilla, a daughter of Herod Agrippa, sitting next to Felix, about to listen to Paul. She had first married a Gentile who, to please her, had to become a Jew. Then Felix, with the aid of a sorcerer's incantations, had won her from her husband and was living with her in sin and shame. All that was dishonorable in mankind was represented by that combination of Felix and Drusilla as they sat on the throne awaiting the address of Paul. The author continues on. Before them, the chains on his arms and the body scarred with the marks of his suffering for Christ's sake and his coarse garment, which by his own hands was self-woven, contrasting the fine velvet and purple of Felix, stood the lonely ambassador for Christ. The moment of truth has arrived, for herein are converging at least four worldviews. Paul was raised a Jew, a Hebrew, a, in a Greek city, a Roman citizen, now bringing the message of Christ. Four worldviews are colliding here. The Roman world, which gave us our legal categories, the Hebrew world, which gave us our moral categories, the Greek world, which gave us our philosophical categories, and the Christian world, which gave us our salvific categories. How is this man with these four worldviews colliding going to bring a clear message so that Felix understands it, both with gentleness and nerve? How does he begin? He begins with the point of reference. Here, the irresistible force is meeting up with the immovable object. What is the point of reference? Here it is. Jesus Christ is the point of reference. Righteousness by faith in the person of Jesus. He is the point of reference for all history. End quote. What a powerful illustration of what was taking place here. To really fully grasp what this author said, you have to put yourself in the situation that he's talking about. What do I mean? Think about the worldviews that were just colliding here for that man Felix, where you have the Greek and the Roman ideas, as well as him being in the Hebrew world, of course, there in Judea, and having that worldview as well but also this new Christian worldview that is talking about salvation and the redemption of man. Well, all of these are just colliding with one another. Think about the things that are going through his mind, his life, his experiences, what Felix thinks he knows is truth, colliding with this message that Paul is bringing him. Such a very powerful illustration we, too, can demonstrate to a lost and dying world that the Lord is on the throne in heaven, and we, too, can look to him for salvation. If righteousness abides in us, in that we're walking with the Lord as a Christian, 
This will be noticed by the unbeliever as well. Felix, by his reaction to Paul in verse 25, I think he began to understand the difference between his sinful condition and a holy God. That message convicted him. It moved him. Paul then moves on to his next point. It says that he reasoned with temperance. The word temperance means to have moderation in regard to the indulgence of the natural appetites and passions of the flesh. It means to show restraint. Felix was not known for his temperance in governing the people as he was known as a very violent and brutal ruler. This also didn't restrain his passions as he took another man's wife, Drusilla, and basically, I don't even know how that situation in history even played out, what happened to the husband or whatever else, but Felix had the power of Rome behind him, even though that kind of thing was, I'm sure, was, was frowned upon, especially for officials, but being in the outskirts of the Roman Empire, you could just get away with things that probably, more than likely, wouldn't fly on the norm. Because even the heathen have some standards. Righteousness walks hand in hand with temperance. And the Apostle Paul addressed this topic, which struck Felix to the core of his being. One thing that must be known about temperance and moderation is that it has boundaries. God has boundaries for his creation. For instance, there's nothing wrong with sexual relations between a man and a woman as long as it's within the confines of marriage. If you do other than that, you are not being temperate. We do have free liberty and freedom, but such is only found within boundaries. Outside the realm of boundaries lies bondage. And guess what? You only exchange freedom for bondage. We must strive more than ever to be temperate in this life because the attraction of the world is always, always trying to get our attention trying to distract us from what we're supposed to be doing for Christ. The wickedness of this world is trying to enslave your eyes and very being with entertainment and media. Hollywood regularly has pagan rituals, vulgarity, and sexuality in their movies. It's nothing for movie makers to drop Jesus Christ as a curse word and mock Christianity. So why then should we partake in their vulgarity? One of the church fathers named Tertullian lived in the Roman Empire and it was at the height of vulgarity and sexualized culture. The Roman Empire was so fixed upon entertainment, whether it was the amphitheater where they had plays or the hippodrome, which is the horse raising, or even the Colosseum where men were slaughtered. Much of this was affiliated and centered around pagan worship of gods and goddesses. Now, I did a podcast on this particular idea and what that early church father had said in relation to us today that would help us you can see podcast number 14 for more in-depth on Tertullian and his writings the shows but what's very interesting about this is that he had to say about Christians partaking in such events really at towards the conclusion he said quote we have, I think, faithfully carried out our plan of showing in how many different ways the sin of idolatry clings to the shows. 
in respect of their origins, their titles, their equipment, their places of celebration, their arts, and we may hold it as a thing beyond all doubt that for us who have twice renounced all idols, they are utterly unsuitable. Not that an idol is anything, as the apostle says, but that the homage they render is to demons who are the real occupants of these consecrated images, whether of dead men or, as they think, of gods, little g gods, end quote. Very powerful. Being temperate means to be able to show restraint in what we partake in, especially when it comes to our eye gate. It, uh, it's absolutely amazing to me that it seems that the entire world knows that sex sells. I mean, think about it. What does a half-undressed woman have to do with a cheeseburger commercial? Nothing. They want to dra- They want to grab your attention. That's the point, especially men. And speaking of that, men, we have to guard our eyes and heart against such wickedness. It's all around us. One of the biggest attacks upon the eyes, of course, is pornography and the imagery. It's not just the filthy magazine or website anymore, but it's literally all around us, whether it's in the TV shows, the commercials, the billboards, and whatever. They're constantly trying to grab our eyes. It's also important to note that we can't be temperate if the way that we look, the way that we live, and the way that we act makes us a hypocrite. We have to really think about that. We have to strive for holiness and righteousness every day. Get away from things that, you know, deep down in our hearts that God would not be pleased with. Back away from it. Walk in holiness and righteousness. Christians must reason with unbelievers that there is a better way with God. Christians must demonstrate temperance in their own lives if they're to ever convince the lost of such an idea. As Paul stood before the Roman governor Felix, Paul's words started to sink into Felix's heart with the final point, and that blow was struck. He reasoned with judgment to come. Very powerful. Felix listened to the Apostle Paul speak of the return of Jesus Christ to judge the world. But there's a problem, though. Felix would not part with his adulterous affair with Drusilla, nor would he part with the wealth that he extorted from the province. In verse 25, it states that Felix trembled at such preaching. Several times in Scripture, the return of Christ is emphasized, and I'm sure that the Apostle Paul knew about this and knew about the return of Christ, and he spoke about that in the judgment of sins. In the book of Acts chapter 10 and verse 42 it says, quote, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he who is, which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. First Timothy chapter four and verse one says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. First Peter chapter four, verses four through five says, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. It's talking about unsaved people that think you're kind of weird by not being evil like them. He continues on, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? 
When the message is preached, it provokes fear and trembling or anger and malice at the message. They hate the message. They hate the righteousness of God. Well, man discovers that he's going to be held accountable for his trespasses and he fights against that. We must reason with the unbeliever that the Lord will come again one day and judge the world. A corrupt politician needs to be spoken out against and needs to be put on notice that he or she will receive the judgment of God if they don't change their ways. Now notice that there's a step process that Paul uses with Felix to get him to understand the implications of the message. That's very interesting. He began with righteousness, which starts with Christ. Paul then moves to temperance and addresses the sins of Felix. Finally, Paul addresses Felix that his sins are going to be judged upon the return of Christ. That's very powerful. Christians would be wise to do the same in trying to reason with the lost about God. This does provide a very good lesson to learn from a man that God used greatly before priests, governors, and kings. There is a judgment for both the saved person and the lost. Now one could argue at what point the judgment happens in Revelation for either the saved or the lost. So definitely the lost is at, uh, at the white throne judgment. But there are those who say that the saved get judged earlier than that. Well, even if you put it at the white throne judgment or before that, we do know that Jesus himself addresses the righteous in Revelation 22 and verse 12. It says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. And quote, born again, believers will either receive rewards or lose rewards at that judgment. That's important. With respect to the unbelieving person, Jesus states in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat, up, sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things were, which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and were judged every man according to the works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. End quote. Now, when it says were judged upon their works, that's talking about the degrees of punishment or, in the Christian sense, the degrees of rewards or lack thereof when it comes to what we've done. The person who has not accepted Christ and accepted the righteousness of Christ will be judged for their works too, but it's not to be able to go into heaven because their works are as filthy rags before God. That's Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. But in different places in scripture, God does give a glimpse that there are degrees of punishment for the wicked. I'm so glad that my name is found in the Lamb's book of life because of me accepting Jesus Christ as my personal savior. Christians, we can live as if there's no judgment to come. 
But the day is coming where we're all going to be held accountable for our bad decisions in this life and the sins that can so easily beset us. This is why it's definitely better to choose righteousness. It makes life go a lot easier, especially. But as for the corrupt politician in our story, Felix trembled at the message because he was convicted but instead of making the choice to become born again, he rather chose to say, you know what, later. As far as we know, Felix never got saved after this. His heart had refused the conviction and the call of God. There's one Bible commentator of old that gave an illustration of how the heart hardens. I really like the illustration. He says, quote, a bit of phosphorus and put it onto a slip of wood and ignite the phosphorus. Bright as the blaze is, there drops from it a white ash that coats the wood and makes it almost incombustible. And so, the flaming conviction laid upon your hearts has burnt itself out and has coated the heart and will be very difficult to kindle the light there again. Felix said, Go thy way, when I have a more convenient season, I'll send for thee. Yes, he did send for Paul and talked with him, but we do not know that he repeated the trembling. He often communed with Paul, but it was only once that he was alarmed. You are less likely to be touched by the gospel message for every time that you've heard it and you've put it away." End quote. It is the sad conclusion for the Roman governor Felix. But it doesn't have to be the case for us. We must too consider scripture and think about what Paul had said. Reasoning with righteousness, with temperance and judgment to come. Not only to apply it to our own lives, but to be convicted and preach to others that same message we too can have that same power, that same zeal, that same spirit, that, that boldness that God just put into Paul to stand before kings and leaders and whoever stood in his way to preach the gospel. If we have that same kind of spirit where we strive to walk in the spirit and not after the flesh, as the book of Galatians chapter 5 talks about, we too can have that power to stand before somebody who, say, is blaspheming God and say, enough is enough, you need to repent. But that's only going to happen if we are righteous, if we are temperate, and we understand our judgment to come. I want to thank you for listening, and be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content and remember to find your refuge and strength in our mighty fortress.